Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a new edition of John Solomon Reports. That's my podcast with my friends at justthenews.com, where we're launching a brand new news organization dedicated to giving you just the facts, just the news, no noise, information, no indoctrination. You get the picture. We're going to just be straight up reporters. Well, we're in Washington, and the impeachment trial is officially underway. There's a lot going on. The impeachment managers, the prosecutors, have begun their case against President Trump. And in a few days, we'll see President Trump's first opportunity through his lawyers to present the defense. That's something that's been missing all the way through this impeachment scandal that dates back to last September. We really don't know what the president's defense is from a legal standpoint, from a factual and evidentiary standpoint. So uh, the next few weeks are going to be pretty important, and I think you should buckle your seatbelt and uh, get ready. Now, today we have an extraordinary guest. We have one of the 100 jurors sitting in judgment of President Trump. Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, a Republican, is joining me here in a few seconds to uh, talk about what it's been like in in the pit of the Senate, what he's heard so far, what he wants to hear going forward. And Senator Johnson brings something else to this Uh, conversation that most other senators uh, who are jurors right now don't. He has been involved with Ukraine for a long time. He has a Ukraine policy expertise. And in fact, he's one of the few senators who've talked to both President Trump and the new Ukrainian President Zelensky, the two key figures in this impeachment trial. He knows the real story of what went on in Ukraine. So beyond being a juror, he's going to bring some expertise here, and I can't wait to hear from him. But before we get to that, I want to uh, mention a couple things about the trial so far. I like to kind of step back sometimes and report against the grain and and take a look at some events that other news media may not be focusing on entirely that I think may be more important to the outcome of the impeachment trial. So I have four quick takeaways that uh, maybe some of the other folks uh, who are reporting on this haven't spent a lot of time dwelling on, but I think they could become important. And here they are, no particular order. I think... Congressman Jerry Nadler's presentation Monday night late around midnight when most Americans are already asleep could have had a very negative effect on the jurors. So if you remember, or if you haven't heard this, uh, Congressman Nadler, the House Judiciary Committee chairman, key player in the impeachment proceedings in the House, he accused all 100 senators 
of sort of being complicit in a conspiracy to protect the American public because they voted 53-47 not to have any witnesses. I know a lot of things about the Senate, and one of them is they don't like to be criticized as an institution, especially not by their colleagues in the House. They view themselves as sort of a different and more um, esteemed body. And I wonder long-term what effect Nadler's comments are going to have. I think we ought to keep an eye on that. Some of the senators who came out that late that night, uh, particularly swing senators on the Republican side, seem to be a little miffed by Nadler's uh, hard-rush tactics that, uh, that he threw at the Senate. Uh, a second thing that I think will be important, I think Adam Schiff had his limelight uh, on Wednesday. It was important. Uh, he laid out his case with the passion that he believes in it. But there's one moment that I think could possibly be a problem for uh, for Schiff, and that is early on he tried to suggest that the Russian government in 2016 had in fact changed the vote, affected the vote in 2016, and that he thought Donald Trump was going to try to do that by conspiring with Ukraine to launch an investigation on Joe Biden for the 2020 race. There's only one problem with Schiff's claim. It is demonstrably false. Those senators, including Richard Burr, the Senate Intelligence Committee chairman, know well that there have been multiple conclusions, including by the House Intelligence Committee, the Senate Intelligence Committee, the Homeland Security Department, and most importantly, perhaps, Robert Mueller, the special prosecutor, that no votes were changed as a result of the Russian hacking in 2016. I think Schiff may have stretched that evidence a little too far, and I'd keep an eye on whether the Trump defense team turns around on that and tries to uh, turn that against the prosecutors when they get their chance to make their case. A third thing that I think we ought to keep a close eye on, if this gets to witnesses, one of the witnesses that Republicans want to call is obviously Hunter Biden, and uh, the Democrats desperately don't want to call Hunter Biden. But I think there's an important series of passages in the House manager's prosecutive brief that they submitted to John Roberts to start the trial. They themselves raise the issue of Burisma, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden. And I think by doing so, they may have opened the door, should we get to witnesses, and I'm not convinced we are going to get to witnesses, but they may have opened the door to allowing President Trump's team to argue, well, listen, it was the Democratic House managers that brought up Hunter Biden. That's why we need to question them. So keep an eye on that. I would not be surprised if the president's lawyers turn on that if we get to a rough and tumble battle over calling witnesses. And finally, John Bolton, they seems to be the Democrats dream witness at this trial. I'll tell you what, my reporting uh, is indicating that John Bolton may not be as good a witness as the Democrats expect him to be. I fully expect him to be very critical of Rudy Giuliani and the things that Rudy Giuliani was doing with Ukrainian officials, the shadow campaign, as the Democrats call it in Ukraine. But I don't think he's going to have the dime to drop on President Trump, at least not from the reporting I've done so far. So sometimes the star witnesses in a trial turn around to be just not that. And I think we ought to keep an eye on that. But you know what? No one cares what I think. I think the most important thing we should do today is hear from an impeachment juror himself. Senator Ron Johnson joins me after the commercial break. So hang on. We're going to be right back. You don't want to miss this interview. 2020, a new year. It's the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. 
but finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes and finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlighting the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey folks, John Solomon here. I used to think new year, new me. Yeah, right. More like new year, new wrinkles, right? With every passing year, we all look older. But now, all that's changed thanks to a magic in a bottle. Plexiderm Rapid Reduction Serum. It's like you turn back the clock instead of ringing in the new year with more wrinkles. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in just a few minutes. It's the easiest New Year's resolution you'll ever make. All you have to do is apply this powerful serum to your problem areas, and within 10 minutes, you're transformed. And the best part is, no surgery, no Botox, nothing dangerous. It's all natural. Simply put, those using Plexiderm are blown away by the results. Ring in 2020 with confidence, knowing that Plexiderm is going to give you a smooth, younger-looking skin in just minutes. The best part is, it goes on clear, so nobody even knows you're using it. So leave your under-eye bags and wrinkles in 2019 with Plexiderm. Bye-bye bags and wrinkles. Hello to a new me. Go to tryplexiderm.com and use my code VOICES, that's V-O-I-C-E-S, VOICES, for 50% off plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an additional $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292. Let me repeat that, 1-800-685-1292. And you mentioned the code VOICES, V-O-I-C-E-S. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit TryPlexiderm.com today and use the code V-O-I-C-E-S. That's at checkout, V-O-I-C-E-S. TryPlexiderm.com and remember that code, V-O-I-C-E-S. All right, folks, we're back from the commercial break. And as promised, we're being joined by one of the 100 jurors sitting in judgment of President Trump right now. Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, thank you for joining us today. Well, John, how are you doing? I'm doing well. So you've been a critic of this impeachment, and I want to ask you, what's your biggest takeaway after a couple of days of the trial? Well, the days are very long, and we're hearing pretty much the same information that the American people have heard in the House hearings and now two days in the Senate trials, pretty much uh, just reiterating and bringing up the same information over and over again. Uh, so... I mean, we'll probably hear that the same information now again today. And then I, I was hoping they would confine it two days, but it looks like they're probably going, you know, three days, pretty well presenting the same information. So you get a little tired of hearing the same thing over and over again. Do a lot of your colleagues, Democrats, Republicans feel the same way right now? Do you have any sense of what their mood is? Yeah, I think you can kind of sense their mood by the, the restlessness in the chamber and, 
you know, although we're only supposed to be reading materials as it relates to the trial, I'm doing that. I'm following the rules. My guess is other people are maybe starting to read some other other information as well. So, yeah, you get a sense that uh, Adam Schiff and, and crew are, are kind of losing their audience by, by, by droning on so long. Yeah, it's been a remarkable couple of days already, and the hours, I'm sure, are long. Now, you've already voted once against the question of allowing witnesses. Is there anything that would change your mind where you'd say, you know, I think we do need to hear from witnesses now? Well, that's not that's not what we voted against. Uh, what we really what we were voting against was was any change to the initial resolution that was pretty well set up and modeled uh, 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 under the Clinton impeachment where they had phases of the trial so the first phase was just let the house present their case which we're in that phase right now then allow the 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 president to present his case then 16 hours of questions from senators based on what we hear in these two presentations then you turn your attention to do we need more information do we need more documents do we need more witnesses and have the votes then uh, we really should have on the first day spent about a half hour voting on that initial resolution back in, in, uh, I think 1999, uh, that was passed hundred to zero, you know, nothing really contentious about it. There shouldn't have been anything contentious other than Democrats make everything contentious. Chuck Schumer would not negotiate in good faith with, with Mitch McConnell, which is by the way, we'll, while, while, why this will go on for three days and they probably will take up the full 24 hours repeating themselves when, what they really should have done is is made their case in, in a few hours and let the president make his case and then start answering questions. I mean, th- th- there's not enough material here to fill up 24 hours. So speaking of Democrats, Adam Schiff yesterday claimed in his opening statement that the Russians had influenced the American vote back in 2016 and that Trump was now trying to use Ukraine to do the same thing in 2020. But you and I know that everybody from Robert Mueller to the intelligence community has concluded that no American votes were changed in, 20, in the 2016 election as a result of the rushing hacking activities. What do you think of Schiff's efforts to suggest otherwise, and do you think it could backfire in the Senate? Well, what I find particularly galling is that they, they set up a, a straw dog argument here, where if you think that there may have been some problems in Ukraine, you're denying that uh, there wasn't Russian interference. I don't think anybody denies that Russia hacked into the DNC server, that, they, that Russia definitely had a, a, an overt effort to interfere in the U.S. election. They've probably been trying to interfere in different methods forever. I'm chairman of the European Subcommittee. I've held hearings on Russian interference in elections of the politics. They tried to undertake a coup in Montenegro. So this is what Russia does. Nobody is denying that. But what is being denied on part of the mainstream media is that there's some legitimate questions about actors in Ukraine and what did they do in relationship to the 2016 election. I mean, th- those are legitimate questions. Certainly your reporting has you know, d- revealed documents that pretty well prove it, but the mainstream media in their bias, and I've, I've often said this, the bias in the media is, is revealed far more in what they don't report, what they're not curious about versus the very overt bias in what they actually do report. So they're simply not curious about it. So they, they come up with these blanket statements, well, there, there's no evidence of. Well, there's no evidence because you haven't looked at, looked for any. Or looked at any. Are you frustrated that it's uh, there are so many facts that one side or the other just simply won't look at the other side's facts? Have we? You come from a state where a lot of bipartisanship exists. It's an important part of the culture, the farm ethos. 
good people, middle America. Are we just so entrenched today that people can't even consider the facts that are offered by the other side? Oh, we're a divided nation, and, and it's it's very dangerous for us to be so divided. And 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 the lines are drawn, and the, the lines are hardening, and that includes in terms of what information people access. So I think that is a real danger. You know, one of the things I've really learned coming from, you know, the flyover country, uh, from manufacturing private sector, never been involved in government, and now I'm chairman of the, of the Homeland Security Government Affairs Committee of the Senate. We're, we are the Senate Oversight Committee. What, what, I've, what has really been revealed to me is the difference in how you investigate things and who investigates things and how the public gets this information. And so from my standpoint, you have the press, who, who generally have information to the best whistleblowers because – the press actually protects whistleblowers. You just you go to jail before you reveal your source. I mean, that's your stock and trade. And so generally the press gets access to information first. Then when it comes to political crimes, what I've determined is because we criminalize so much political behavior, you immediately start some kind of criminal investigation. And so once that happens, Congress is completely blocked or, or almost completely blocked from accessing information because information held by the agencies or that otherwise might be available to Congress is, is, is it's all about the prosecution. It's all about preserving some kind of criminal prosecution. And so the last people to find out anything in this investigation process is Congress and therefore the American people other than what they read in the press. And I think it's just completely backwards. You know, what, what I've talked about is even if there is a criminal investigation, I think Congress and the American people need access to that same information in real time. Otherwise, what ends up happening is you end up with investigation gets morphed into a special counsel. And here you are three years later, and the American people still don't know what, for example, fully was happening within the FBI and Department of Justice toward the tail end of 2016 and early in the Trump administration. Uh, it's completely backwards the way we go about doing these things. That's right. It's an interesting time. There's no doubt about it. Now, for the first time, when Adam Schiff wraps up uh, the prosecution's opening statement, the American people are going to get to hear from President Trump's defense team what his evidence is. So as that begins over the next few days, is there any specific piece of evidence, any top line of argumentation that you most want to hear from either side of the aisle? Well, again, the House is laying out their case, and they're doing a good job laying out their case, although it's quite repetitive. Uh, I've read both briefs. I think the president's uh, uh, legal team has done an excellent job in, in their initial brief. I think one thing that came to light, and this kind of goes back to my main point, that uh, a free press is really important, and, and what investigative reporters, reporters like you do is incredibly important because you, you get information, you get it in the public's eye pretty quick, but... Uh, uh, Yesterday, Real Clear Investigations came out, an uh, article by Paul Sperry, a uh, pretty interesting article about the whistleblower and uh, people on Adam Schiff's staff and, and you know, how, how these people have been connected, how they've been uh, cooperating, uh, how they dislike this president and have had since almost day one uh, a, a desire to really bring down this president. Of course, that's what we've seen. Uh, I've been saying this for quite some time from my own oversight activity. I believe there has been a concerted and in, in, in many cases coordinated effort to sabotage this administration from literally the day after the election. Uh, the, the, the lawyer, one of the lawyers for the whistleblower, this Mark Zaid, I mean, his, his tweet 
10 days after uh, President Trump was inaugurated, uh, you know, talking about a coup and rebellion and how uh, impeachment will follow. Uh, people need to understand what has been going on here. I don't have the full story. I'm not quite sure what's pulling off, but something has been happening here. Yeah. And the American people need to know. Well, that's a good point. Do you think we'll ever get to a point in the trial where we'll hear from a, the whistleblower or get some evidence about his activities that are not yet public, such as the redacted pages that Adam Schiff has not released from the Inspector General George Atkinson? Well, I do know that I had my staff print out copies of that Real Clear Investigations report, and I put that in, in every Republican senator's cubbyhole, and uh, they were all reading it after our uh, dinner break last night. So, And I, I know the, the president's legal team is aware of that as well. So how it's going to be used, how we're going to talk about it, I really don't know. But I think Adam Schiff uh, certainly ought to be asked quite a few questions, and I think he will be during the 16 hours of, of senator questions to the two legal teams. I mean, that's certainly going to be a focus of my questions for, the, for the, uh, the two teams. Well, that's a good point. A lot of people just think the senators are going to be asking questions, but actually it's the first opportunity Republicans will get to interrogate Adam Schiff. And the questions that surround his own conduct in this impeachment scandal. Correct. And it's all going to be filtered through the chief justice. I hope the chief justice will understand these are important questions. And I hope Adam Schiff doesn't do what he did in the House, which is just deflect the questions. Go, oh, we, can't, we can't talk about that because we've got to protect the identity of, of the whistleblower. Uh, by the way, the, the law on that is it is certainly true that the inspector general when a whistleblower goes inspector general, the inspector general is barred by law from revealing who that whistleblower is. But the whistleblower laws contemplate that if it becomes a legal process and you're in a court of law, the accused, in this case, President Trump, has every right to cross-examine and confront his accuser, the whistleblower. So I, I've been saying for quite some time, it's, it, it's beyond unreasonable to think if you're a whistleblower, you're going to lodge a complaint against the President of the United States that uh, is really directed and designed to result in impeachment, that you're going to be able to hide behind uh, some kind of whistleblower protection and remain anonymous. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. It's also ridiculous. I mean, I think the whole world knows who the whistleblower is, but n none of us can say the name. Otherwise, we will get creamed in the press. It's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? We have Facebook taking down talk, or threatening to take down talk radio hosts Facebook pages, you know, they're, they're really kind of their, their, their lifeline uh, because they've linked to articles that actually name the whistleblower. Uh, again, there's something really happening in this country that's, that's pretty wrong, kind of go, going off the rails. Yeah, that question of censorship is really one that's growing every day. I know when I've talked to everyday people that this issue comes up a lot. And of all the senators sitting in judgment, you may have the most unique perspective on this Ukraine matter because you've been to Ukraine several times, Kiev, including in the last year. And you've actually talked to both President Trump and President Zelensky, two of the key figures in this trial. So tell us about that and what you experienced and uh, when you were on the trips. And more importantly, did either President Trump or President Zelensky ever suggest to you that there was a quid pro quo between the U.S. aid and the request to investigate some of the corruption and election interference questions that interested President Trump? No, and, and a, a short answer is I, I've laid all this out in a 10-page response to a uh, request from uh, Jim Jordan and Devin Nunes in the House during their impeachment inquiry. But, you know, to make a long story short, now I asked the president point blank 
after he described again, when, when, I, when I called him up on August 31st after I heard about the, the hold on, on the support. And, I, you know, I talked to Gordon Sondland. He, he described some kind of arrangement. So I called the president asking him to give me the authority when I met with President Zelensky on September 5th, you know, five days later, to, to say that the, 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 the hold on that support was going to be released. The president did not give me that authority, and he, he went back to the same consistent reasons, the corruption and the fact that Europe doesn't do enough. Then I brought up the point. So, well, Mr. President, I'm hearing there's, there's maybe some kind of arrangement that if Ukraine does something, you release the hold. And he immediately, and I, I say adamantly and vehemently denied that. He said, no, there's no way I would ever do that. Who, who told you that? And from my standpoint, talking to him on the phone, springing that on him, to me, his denial was completely believable. Now, Adam Schiff doesn't talk about that. Uh, he just talks about my conversation with Adam, uh, with uh, Gordon Sondland, where when that was described to me, I kind of winced. But it, that's why I asked the president, and he completely denied it. So, yeah, and, and by the way, on September 5th, when I was there with Senator Murphy, a perfect time for the President Zelensky, because it was a very open, supportive conversation, he, he could have relayed that, because Murphy brought up Giuliani, and you know, basically warned, warned Zelensky, don't get involved in American politics or you're going to lose bipartisan support. would have been the perfect time for Zelensky to say, well, you know, we're kind of feeling this pressure. He didn't. They were just baffled. Uh, why is this being held up? And I, I told him the president's reason. Corruption, which is why you won, and the fact that Europe doesn't do enough. So I actually encouraged President Zelensky. I know it's kind of difficult, but it would it, probably improve your case President Trump if you'd also call on Europe to do a little bit more. So actually, you got to see this unfold on the front lines. And you mentioned Senator Chris Murphy and those comments he made warning President Zelensky that some people have interpreted was a democratic attempt to pressure uh, Ukraine over U.S. aid. Did you walk away with that same perception of what Christopher Murphy was trying to do? Was he trying to infer to the Ukrainian president at that moment that Democrats didn't want them to cooperate with Rudy Giuliani or they would put their aid at risk? Well, again, Senator Murphy, in his own words, says, you know, basically laid out exactly what he told President Zelensky. He heard rumors that Rudy Giuliani was trying to get meetings with him, and, and, and he just said, you've got strong bipartisan support. That's the number one asset Ukraine has going for you in your relationship with the U.S. Don't, don't uh, th threaten that. I mean, don't, don't risk losing that by cooperating with Rudy Giuliani. So it was certainly Senator Murphy uh, warning that. I, I just stayed out of that. I didn't comment on what uh, Senator Murphy brought up at all. One of the things a lot of reporters, myself included, and the reporters at the New York Times, ABC News, and others have looked at is that there's a remarkable, remarkable amount of cash flow from Ukraine to democratic causes. You know, people talk about the oligarch who donated tens of millions of dollars to the Clinton Foundation or the millions that went to Hunter Biden's firm. Uh, one question always comes up is, is Ukraine, Ukraine special to the Democratic Party? Is it a piggy bank for Democrats? Is there anything you've learned about that that concerns you? Yeah, I, I really don't know. Um, I, I'm still puzzled. I, I obviously read your reports. I, we, you know, and particularly look at the documents that you've been able to produce, which is, again, what the mainstream media completely ignores, is all the documentary evidence that you've dug up. Um, we, we there's still a puzzle. We're, we're missing a lot of the pieces. I, I really can't express an opinion. I, I don't know fully what, what all happened, what is happening. Uh, what I have learned, I think you've probably learned this, is I take everything that anybody in Ukraine tells me with a grain of salt or anything 
told to me about Ukraine with a huge grain of salt. We've got to lay this thing out. It'd be a lot. It'd be helpful if there were more reporters like yourself actually curious and trying to dig up some of this information as opposed to just summarily dismissing it as, well, there's no evidence there. You know, this has all been debunked. You know, yeah, just because a couple things have been, have been thoroughly debunked doesn't mean the whole issue has been debunked. Debunked, I think you've proven there's some very legitimate questions that remain outstanding. You know, by the way, you've gotten answers to a lot of it, but it's just being ignored by the mainstream media. I'd like to get the entire puzzle put together. I'd, I'd like to see a clear picture of not only what happened to Ukraine, but what happened at the State Department in relationship to Ukraine, what happened within the FBI and Department of Justice as it relates to you know, the Hillary Clinton email scandal morphing into the Russian collusion hoax. Again, there, there, there's, a lot, there's a lot of things going on here that uh, we still are largely in the dark about. No, that's definitely true. And that begs another question. You oversee one of the most powerful, important committees in the Senate, including the permanent subcommittee on investigations under governmental affairs. Do you, after this trial is over, do you intend to dig into these issues and try to resolve them? And what sort of work is your committee doing now and will be doing over the course of the next year to help the American people get a better understanding of what went on in this Ukraine scandal and in the Russia collusion issues? Yeah, John, I've been really started this investigation with the Hillary Clinton email scandal, which is in my committee's legislative jurisdiction, federal records, back in March of 2015. And we've been pretty well stonewalled. You know, so my level of frustration is high, but I am incredibly tenacious, and I'm, I'm dedicated to getting to the bottom of this. And so, yes, once all these, you know, the impeachment hearings and the special counsel and John Durham, once they wrap up their work, I'm assuming we will finally get some of the information, the documents that we've been requesting literally for years. And, you know, I, I, I keep telling all these agency heads, and by, and by the way, I'm not seeing a great deal of difference between the Obama administration and the Trump administration. There's just a, there's just a bias in any administration from giving up any information to Congress. And so it's, it's like pulling teeth, whether it's the Obama administration or the Trump administration. There's always, there's maybe different reasons. I mean, right now, you've got the impeachment trial, uh, obviously, the, the president is not responding to what they consider, and I think it's probably true, invalid subpoenas that were issued prior to the House actually taking a vote on impeachment. And so they're not, they're not giving them documents. They're very reluctant to give the other chamber documents as well. So, again, there's always a, there's always a reason for it, oftentimes very legitimate. By the way, I'm, I'm somebody who supports the, the concept of executor privilege, something that does need to be protected. Uh, so, you know, I understand this, but I, I, that's why I start, was talking about how, how unpowerful I do feel, quite honestly. Uh, reporters, you guys get the whistleblowers. Prosecutors can compel this kind of testimony, and then they keep it, and, and, and again, legitimately secret, because if you're investigating something, you never file charges, that person should never be subjected to public scrutiny. So I understand all that. But when we're talking about these, these crimes involving political figures, political crimes, I really think these investigations ought to start with Congress. And we ought to have access to the information so the people know if it looks like there's crimes committed, then you turn that over to the Justice Department. If they can't handle it, then you turn it over to special counsel. And let the press do their thing because it's, it's vital that the press is able to dig this stuff up to, to make Congress and the American people aware of what's happening. Let me ask. If the government finally gives you those keys and unlocks that lockbox and finally lets you do your job of oversight that you've been trying to do and you've been thwarted at, 
What are the five witnesses and the five documents that are most important for you to get to get these issues resolved? Oh, that, that's, that's a big question. <laughs> I mean, I have so many oversight letters outstanding. Listen, I, I really do want to know what was happening within the Obama administration State Department. You know, I, I want to f- figure out what was happening in the intelligence community. You know, I, I've always pointed to that, that one text between uh, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, December 15th of 2016. Think our sisters are leaking like mad, scorned and worried and political. They're, they're kicking into overdrive. Uh, six days before that is when the CIA started going public with the fact that they thought Russia intervened on behalf of Trump, and that ended up morphing into the, the false narrative that Trump campaign included with, with, uh, with Russia. So, yeah, I want to get to the bottom of all those things. So there, there, I can't just identify only five. There's so much of this story that still needs to be told, and there's so much resistance on the part of, and, and a lot of incentive for people to hide this stuff from us as well. So, but again, I'm, I'm tenacious. Uh, I know reporters are, are like you are tenacious, and I think working, doing our own jobs, uh, hopefully the American people finally find out what, what, what happened here. Well, Senator, I know you've got to run back to the trial, but I want to thank you so much for spending the time with us and giving us your insights and a lot of analysis. You are uniquely qualified with this expertise in Ukraine among all the jurors in the Senate who are listening to this trial. So it's great to hear from someone that saw firsthand what was really going on. So again, thank you for joining us at John Solomon Reports, and good luck at the trial. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you, sir. Hey, folks, John Solomon here. I used to think, new year, new me. Yeah, right. More like new year, new wrinkles, right? With every passing year, we all look older. But now, all that's changed thanks to a magic in a bottle. Plexiderm Rapid Reduction Serum. It's like you turn back the clock instead of ringing in the new year with more wrinkles. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in just a few minutes. It's the easiest New Year's resolution you'll ever make. All you have to do is apply this powerful serum to your problem areas, and within 10 minutes, you're transformed. And the best part is, no surgery, no Botox, nothing dangerous. It's all natural. Simply put, those using Plexiderm are blown away by the results. Ring in 2020 with confidence, knowing that Plexiderm is going to give you a smooth, younger-looking skin in just minutes. The best part is, it goes on clear, so nobody even knows you're using it. So leave your under-eye bags and wrinkles in 2019 with Plexiderm. Bye-bye bags and wrinkles. Hello to a new me. Go to tryplexiderm.com and use my code VOICES, that's V-O-I-C-E-S, VOICES, for 50% off plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an additional $10 off. This offer is also available by calling one 800 685-1292. Let me repeat that. 1-800-685-1292. And you mentioned the code VOICES, V-O-I-C-E-S. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit tryplexiderm.com today and use the code V-O-I-C-E-S. That's at checkout, V-O-I-C-E-S. Tryplexiderm.com and remember that code, V-O-I. CES. 2020, a new year. It's the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. 
But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes and finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlighting the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, folks, that's all we got for today. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of John Solomon Reports. It's a rare opportunity when you get to talk to a juror in one of the historic impeachment trials of our time. So uh, dig in, enjoy, and we'll be back with you next week. I'm sure we'll be talking about a lot of different things. We're getting real close to launching justthenews.com's website. Our podcasts are already going. Next week, David Brody starts to, uh, his first podcast and joins the lineup. So we'll be listening for that. And we'll see you next Tuesday.